Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, tasked with a daunting obligation, solve your sister's murder. Set in the 1920s, the era of glitz and glam, this family mystery is one for the ages. Everyone's a suspect until your investigation determines otherwise. The clues are all around you, hidden within tricky twists and turns. You'll collect detailed information about each character in your photo album where you'll comb over every detail. You can even join a detective's club to chat and play with others or against them in the detective's league. With hundreds of puzzles to solve, you should probably get started today. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News travel editor Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. This week, from the Edgewood Resort in Lake Tahoe, Nevada. The big airlines keep getting bigger, and some might argue they've become an oligopoly. I'll sit down with Maverick CEO David Nealman. You might remember he's the founder of JetBlue, and most recently a new airline called Breeze. We'll get his take on the airline world, good, bad, and ugly. Then a look at responsible travel. Edgewood is a member of something called Beyond Green Hotels. It's an aptly named group of hotels that go beyond just canned mission statements when it comes to the environment and sustainability. I'll talk with historian Joe Lordo about the hotel on the lake. And then, a deeper immersion in conversation with Amy Berry. She's the CEO of the Tahoe Fund, about the critical need for destination stewardship, what they're doing to preserve the lake, and how other communities around the country can follow suit. First up, from Breeze, David Nealman. Your last day of vacation, and you found time for a deep tissue massage, followed by a long mud bath, then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane, back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. If you travel, you know how to pull off a perfect getaway. You know after you enroll with your Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card, you get up to $10 back monthly on U.S. rideshare purchases with select providers, like a car to the airport. You know which remote retreats have the best herbal baths and where the Wi-Fi password is rarely used because you're the escape artist. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Purchases must be on card. Visit go.amic slash you know. David Nealman, welcome. Thank you, Peter. It's great to be with you. You know, call it timing, call it luck. You've seen to have the ability to figure out the right time and the right place to start an airline every time you've done it. 
When you started JetBlue, you realized what were the underutilized airports, JFK, Long Beach in California. You picked up all the slots you needed. Next thing you know, you were one-on-one, mano-a-mano with the major airlines, and you were doing great. And you figured out a way to finance the planes, how to leverage everything. And the next thing, and and I will tell you this, you'll get a kick out of this. I realized that it was 23 years ago that you and I sat on that very first plane and did a live spot before you took off on the very first flight on JetBlue from Kennedy. Last night, I'm on a flight from New Orleans to, to LaGuardia. It was that plane. Oh, really? <laughs> it was 23 years old. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's 503, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, It's still yeah, yeah. in the fleet. It's, yeah. yeah. It's, I've flown on that recently. It's, uh, it's amazing, the technology on an airplane. That, think of what you were doing 23 years ago. That plane's been flying I don't want to know. Day. It's I know. crazy. But JetBlue is a success. Azul in Brazil. And now, of course, Breeze. We live in a world where there's been great consolidation of the majors. There's no more Northwest, no more Continental, no more U.S. Air. It's really American United, Delta, and Southwest as the big players on the block. I have to ask the the devil's advocate question, which I know you have an answer for. Why Breeze and why now? Well, you know, I, as you said, I never. the reason why I've been successful is that I've never forced the issue. I, I never start an airline just because I want to do an airline. There has to be an opportunity. So as I looked, Azul was a tremendous success. And it's probably the most important thing I've ever done for, for a country. Explain Azul. Azul is, you know, when, when, when I got to Brazil and... and you know, I was really upset about leaving JetBlue. I thought that you know it wasn't just justified. It wasn't just, and you know, to take take me out of the position of CEO and make me chairman, and and so I just got bored and left um, because I was born in Brazil. My dad was a journalist down there, and and I had served a mission down there. I spoke Portuguese, and I had always wanted to go back to Brazil and kind of make a difference. And so as I got down there, look, there were forty seven million people. It was a country of two hundred million people with forty seven million travelers. The U.S. at that time had 300 plus and 650 million travelers. So, you know, there were a lot of people that couldn't travel in Brazil. And if you ordered something online, it took you two weeks to get it. So I thought there was an, an amazing ability to kind of start an airline, to fly to a bunch of cities that nobody was flying to, which turned into a logistics company as well. Today, indirectly, indirectly, we probably employ 50,000 people down there. We fly 30 million people a year. We deliver 35 million packages a year. And so I think it's done more for Brazil. Uh, you know, now there's over 100 million people traveling in Brazil. It's more than doubled since we've, we've come around. And we've, we've, we've about half, you know, more than half of all that we took. So it was just my life's work. It was something that I'm really proud of. And, and so as I was down there looking back to the U.S., uh, I thought, wow, you know, there's an interesting trend developing here. Airlines are getting bigger and bigger airplanes because their costs are going up and up and up. You know, this is kind of post-bankruptcy of all the big guys. And the regional airlines are locked in at a certain seat size, between 50 and 74 seats. So they can't of, grow. They can't get bigger airplanes because of the scope clauses, the union, the union clauses. Yeah, the union clauses. Because after you country. get beyond a certain number of seats, a mainline pilot has to fly it. Yeah. So what people don't realize is in 2010, there was almost a million regional flights a year. And this year, there'll be 550,000. So we've lost 450,000 flights in the regional side. And they weren't really that economical of an airplane anyway. So you had because they were artificially sized, Um, you know, and then with the kind of doubling of, of pilot salaries at the regional airlines plus 
then the 50 seaters are going away. So there was just a really big opportunity to fly in these small and medium sized cities. Somebody once told me that those regional jets couldn't even make a profit unless they were like 90% full. They couldn't make a profit unless they had business traffic on it. Yeah. You know, you couldn't be selling 30 and 49 and $59 fares. You had to get the, the $800 fares, the $700 fares to be able to make, make them work. Uh, it, they couldn't work on a, on a low fare basis. And so as the airlines kind of focused more and more on hubs and then even took out m more and more of the spokes, and, you know, if you, you add up all the cities that airlines have pulled out of, the, 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 it's probably 50, 60 uh, it's more, cities. It's actually more than that now. We've talked about it on the show. I mean, if you live in Toledo, Ohio right now, you have a problem because American United and Delta don't fly there anymore. Yeah. So if you live there... How do you get in? How do you get out? If you have a business there, how do you attract business? And nobody's stepping up to the plate to fill that void. So if you're in Toledo, you're driving to Detroit. Yes. Yeah, and that's a lot of that going on. I mean, Huntsville, Alabama does have regional service from the big three, but they're principally to the hubs. And if you want to go direct, nonstop, you have to drive to Nashville, and that's a two-hour drive. So, you know, if you look at all these little pockets of pain around and then you have a plane that's smaller, and, and Legion has done a great job proving that they can, with a bigger airplane, they can serve a lot of markets, but we have a, even a smaller plane with a lower trip cost. We're kind of in the sweet spot because we have 137 seats on our on That's our your A220s? Yeah. But they have 12 first-class seats on them, and they have 42 extra legroom seats, and they don't have just one middle seat per row. And so people love flying on the bigger windows. People love flying on that airplane. And so by hitting that sweet spot, there's just a lot of markets that we can, that we can serve that others can't. And you can serve them nonstop. Yeah, nonstop. And, you know, we started with, oh, we're going to get you there twice as fast for half the price. That was kind of our mantra. <laughs> and, uh, you know, obviously. Is it still true? Uh, yeah, for the most part. You know, obviously fuel is up. And so we got to raise our prices a little bit to help cover for that. But, uh, you know, that, that's kind of the goal. But if I take a look at your route network, you're not flying from JFK to Chicago. You're flying from Islip to Charlotte, or you're flying, right? Uh, to, to Charleston. To Charleston, yeah. yeah. Islip, Charleston, or Islip to Raleigh, or Islip to, you know, places where people want to go. Norfolk. And by the way, I'm a huge fan of Islip Airport. I think it's totally underutilized. Uh, they've got all the runway space you need. They have all the gate space you need. And you have a population based on Long Island that doesn't want to go to Kennedy or LaGuardia. Yeah, it makes it more challenging. Uh, you have more more options out of, out of those bigger airports. But, you know, they're talking about even building a terminal on the other side of the airport and having the Long Island Railroad go right through the, through the terminal. So that would be, that'd be cool, too, because, you know, it's just a little bit far out for, a, a, for the massive amounts of people that, you know, live in, in Norfolk County um, to be able to get all the way out there. So... But, but our customers love it. They really love getting in and out and, and being able to, you know, go for less. I mean, what's your longest flight? Is it Providence to? Uh, LAX. So that, you have a Transcon. Yeah, we had, we had Transcons yeah, this summer. Right? So what we try and do is we go where people want to go at the time of year they want to fly. So we pivot more east-west in the, in the summertime um, because a lot of people want to go to Providence in the summertime. They want to go to Portland, Maine. They want to eat those lobsters. And then we flip the schedule around, and then everyone in Portland or Providence wants to go to Florida uh, during, the, during the, the winter months. So we do more Florida 
you know, maybe 50% of our, our routes are, are Florida-based in, in, in the wintertime. And then in the summertime, it, it flips around and, and we do more east-west. Other than the intangible of fuel and labor, what's your biggest challenge? Um, uh, fuel. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I said other than fuel. No, it's, it's just, you know, m- making sure that we have an operation that runs smooth. And our team's done a tremendous job of, of continuing to improve. Um, you know, we, our MPS scores are at all-time high. Um, our net promoter score, which is something we, tr- we track with our customer satisfaction. Um, we, you know, making sure that we go on time, we're all, all-time high and on-time percentage, almost 80% this month, that we never cancel a flight. That's really what we, that's our mantra. You know, even if we well, have that was to, your mantra when you were JetBlue. Yeah, even if we delay the flight. But it was harder at JetBlue because, you know, then you have air traffic and thunderstorms wipe out everything. That makes it a lot harder. But in the cities we fly, we can do that. We can say, look, we can't go tonight, but we're going to go in the morning or if, if needs be. That's very rare. What would you say is the most surprising city pair route that you fly? Oh, there's, there's a lot of them. You know, I mean, if you, if you look if, if you look in that mid-Atlantic region, you know, anything out of Charleston or, or Richmond or, you know, you know the, a lot of those cities, those are those are spectacular. Airline fares are near historic highs in the year 2023, hotel rates as well. Everybody talks about, you know, pent up demand. Everybody talks about revenge travel. What do you see as a a radical change in passenger behavior that's allowing this to be sustained? Well, I think if you just remove us from the equation for a second, because we try to fly where people aren't, and that's really important. But if you look kind of the landscape that's going on out there, I think that the, you know, the, the big four plus, you know, the ULCCs, you know, the spirit and frontiers of the world. And I think Allegiance more in our category because they fly mainly where people aren't. But there's a bit of a, there's a tussle going on right now. The big airlines added a, something between 15 and 20% of capacity in one quarter, which is not traditionally the best quarter of the year, which is the fourth quarter. And... I think the revenue pretty much stays at a certain level to a, to a great degree. So if you add 20% of capacity uh, and you have all that additional cost to fly this 20%, you got to fill those seats. The only thing you can do, unless there's a pickup of 20% of demand, is you have to lower fares to try and stimulate traffic. And is so that, you're seeing is that some, starting to happen now? Yeah, fares are in the fourth quarter have dropped, you know, precipitously. Um, yeah, the last time I looked, they were about twenty six percent less than they were about three or four weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, they're they're really on the downhill slide. Now you add to that, I was looking at one of the majors' fuel burn consumption for the year is four billion gallons. So fuel's gone up a buck a gallon in the last uh, ninety days, and that's why airline stocks are down thirty to forty percent because there's. No matter what the airlines are saying, there's a lot of really smart people that are in the market doing the math and saying, these guys aren't going to make money because you can't add a billion dollars of costs in the quarter, have your airfares go down 26%. It doesn't match. The match, the, no. you know, the, it just well, doesn't It's the famous Richard Branson quote that if you want to be a millionaire, you start with a billion dollars open an airline, you'll become a millionaire. I think Warren Buffett said that and he just stole it from Warren Buffett. <laughs> he tried to invest in airlines and he, and he, he figured out that wasn't the great idea. So where do we go from here now? I think, I think you'll just see an adjustment in capacity. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of old airplanes that people are holding on to. And I think you'll probably see some early re- some retirements. I know Spirit, for example, has a bunch of 319s that they'll, they'll get rid of. Um, everybody has, you know, older, smaller planes that they would, they would retire. And, um, you know, I think that probably bodes well for the pilot market as well because 
you know, I think it's it's kind of at its maximum that it can take today, especially with the economy, the way it's at. I think I think people have spent a lot of money. You know, they they had some extra money from coming out of COVID and there was revenge or there was pent up demand travel. But, you know, now you've purchased all your stuff and you've uh, started paying your student loan payments again. You got to make your mortgage payments again. And so, you know, I think there is a limit to what people will be willing to spend. And that's, we're in a good position because I feel, because, you know, people will look for the lowest fare and they'll look for the most convenient and they're not just going to flip, you know, whatever dollar it is. And maybe there may be some spending that's motivated by mileage as opposed, and then you're saying, wait a second, I'm going to get this, I'm going to get this mileage but I just spent all this extra money for it. And then when I go to redeem the miles, it's going to cost me so much to do it. This, this whole thing doesn't make sense anymore. I'd rather just go nonstop and do it for a better fare. Are the frequent flyer programs fatally flawed now? Um, I, think, I think you've got four airlines that have a lot of power. And they're, they're um, kind of pushing the limits of it a little bit. And I think you know, consumers are not stupid and they'll figure things out Well, at, at a certain point we actually can do the math they can you can do the math but they also have their research departments and they can you know they're really sophisticated at looking at customers i think there'll probably be some pullback and you'll see some the the, the pendulum i think will part could, could potentially start swinging the other way so what you're saying is airlines like delta may have gone too far well you know I just can't. When I look at the the qualifications for what you have to do and the you know the, the to get the low lounge, tier, yeah, to get the low tier and how much you have to spend. And let me ask you a question: As a passenger, mm-hmm. would you spend seventy five thousand dollars to get the lowest tier status at Delta? <laughs> it's it's a lot of money, um, but you know, I guess if there's less people doing it, then you, you compete with less people for the upgrades. Uh, you know, it's uh, you know, I don't know. I, like I said. Delta is, I got a tremendous amount of respect for Delta. They've, they run a tremendous airline. Um, it looks a lot like JetBlue, actually, with the live TVs and the free internet. And yeah, but I, you were I first, think, but you were first. But they have, they're looking at the number of customers, they're looking at the number of cancellations on their credit card. Um, and they'll, I'm, I'm sure that if, if it's really affecting them, they'll, they'll make an adjustment. I mean, the attitude is there are only four major airlines. You got to fly one of them. And they probably ran the numbers to think, even if you have drop-off and people canceling the card or, or leaving their frequent flyer program, they're still going to fly the airline. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's an interesting dynamic, for sure. You're not big on the frequent flyer programs? You know, ours are, our frequent flyer program, we have one, and it basically gives you points for every time you fly. But and you have one because everybody else has one. We do, but it also um, is a way of... You can't fly on us without you filling out a form and giving us your either your cell phone or your email address. That's valuable for us because we can talk to all of our customers. We have, you know, almost three million people in our database now that we can talk to. And particularly if a flight's late or whatever, we can send them an email and advise them. And you're just more connected to your customers. My thanks to David. Now, if you're looking to stay at a hotel that goes beyond just asking permission not to wash your towels every day, the Edgewood Resort is a pretty good candidate. But before you understand their sustainability commitment, a bit of history with Joe Lordo. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. 
by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. When you choose Organic Valley, not only will you be enjoying great tasting dairy, you'll help to save over 1,600 small organic family farms who are protecting over 400,000 acres of organic farmland and all the plants and animals that call it home. This is dairy you can feel good about. It's great tasting, high-quality organic dairy, ethically sourced from small organic family farms. To find Organic Valley Dairy near you, visit ov.coop. That's ov.coop. Joe Lordeau, how are you, Joe? Doing well. Thank you for having me. So how, back, how far back does your history go? Our history uh, goes back to 1863. It was when our family first arrived, but obviously we were not the first people here. But wait a minute, you first arrived from where? From where? Great question. Uh, Scotland to Canada to Nauvoo to Council Bluffs to Carson City by foot. Of course, not across the Atlantic. That was a long journey via boat. But everything else was by foot? By foot. So you received no mileage for that? (laughs) (laughs) No, there were no airline miles then. There was just a lot of worn out souls. By the way, there are no airline miles now. They just think you have them. But that's another story. So when, when they got here, obviously they were now confronted with all the history that preceded them. Oh, boy. Uh, by the time we had arrived, we were not the first ones here. Um, obviously, the, both the Washoe tribe and the Paiute tribe had predated us. And settlement had occurred before we arrived as well. Um, fun fact, you are aware, I'm sure, that this is the staging ground of the, old, the original Pony Express came through here. Tell me more. I will happily tell you more. Uh, one of the last surviving Pony Express stops is, uh, in the state of Nevada is just across the street. And a gentleman named Hank Monk took off from there and survived what became known as the longest Pony Express ride. How long was it? It was 90 miles. One way. (laughs) When did the Pony Express start? Oh boy, 1863 and done by 1864? No, it might have been 1861 to 63. So it wasn't that long? No, it lasted less than a year, 18 months maybe. And they're still waiting for that letter to be delivered to you. <laughs> Just a thought. Well, that's what you get when you only paid a couple cents for the stamp. I know. They should have had the forever stamps back then. <laughs> so you had the Pony Express here. Mm-hmm. But was it, this was, wasn't really the Wild Wild West, or was it? You know, well, the longest ride was a consequence of the Paiute Indian Wars. Uh, the other stations had been burned down, so Hank had to keep riding. Um, but uh, there were different relationships, obviously. The Washu were here as well. Um, very peaceful tribe. And we're right now in Washu County, right? I mean, yes. I, so there's history right there. Mm-hmm. What's, when people come here for the first time, when you were here, what's the, the first thing that surprised you about this area? Boy, um, I've been coming here since I was you know, an infant. So I don't know that I have so much as a, a first memory. Um, but just a, a collection of memories as a kid. Because um, when you think about it, this was farmland. People were farming here. Oh, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> this was um, not the best farmland. The best farmland was down in Carson Valley. Up here, you would see more dairy farms, um, some grazing land. So what were you doing as a kid here? As a kid? Yeah. Having some of the best summers ever. 
<laughs> okay, so tell me some of your secrets about those summers, meaning you've got the lake to play in, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you have the, the best natural playground you could imagine, right? Oh, boy. Uh, the best backyard you could ever imagine. Uh, you've got trees, mountains, rocks to climb on, rivers to play in, a lake. Uh, some of the best views if you're willing to climb and get up high and get up on top of rocks. And you did that? Every kid should. I've got the skin <laughs> knees to prove it. <laughs> But what's changed since then? Because I still look out and see the lake. I still see the rocks and the mountains. More people in a good way. The, um, this land has always been precious to us. It's my, my best family memories are here. When we talk about this as our land, I say that in, this, in the sense of it belongs to my family. Uh, it belongs to my ancestors as much as it belongs to the grandkids I may one day get to have. Um, and my job is to preserve it grow it, pass it on with those same instructions. Okay, so you open the door. How do you preserve it? Great question. First one is being... That's why I'm here, by the way. Great questions, yeah. <laughs> um, being responsible in how we do things. It's, we j- joke that you know, we are a family business, and preserving this is very, very, very important to us. Um, the... I guess, you know, if I had to, I'm thinking about it because I want to give you the best answer I can. It comes from originally being a ranching family. You have to live with the land. You don't live on it. You don't live from it. You live in synergy with it. And we have to take care of Lake Tahoe for it to take care of us. And by us, I mean the entire Edgewood family. Um, what I think gives me great joy is seeing other people coming here and experiencing that as well. Seeing that th- this place is amazing. We have the lake clarity because we take care of the lake. We have the trees because we've chosen not to cut them down. And, of course, you have to educate the visitors. We do our best. We have, um, you know, I think the favorite story I like telling is our, uh, the golf course is stunning. The water traps everyone complains about, especially some of the ponds people end up, you know, knocking shots into. What they don't realize is those are actually giant filtration ponds that we've planted natural vegetation there that slows down all the water. And we collect all the rainwater from the casino core, run it through a series of creeks and ponds, and we slow the water down and drop all the fine sediment. So it collects there instead of going into the lake. Take a wild guess how much sediment we pull out of those ponds every year. Tell me. About 500,000 pounds. Okay, I have the obvious questions coming. Where does it go? It gets relocated. We've got other spots. I know it gets relocated. Yeah. We just know we obviously don't dump in the lake. We haul it Where did the hostages go? They were relocated. Yeah. Um, goes up over the hill, and then we have another area. I love that. It goes over the hill. Oh, over the hill. Where, where's the yeah. cell? It went over the hill. Obviously, is it a, is it a sediment hospice? I mean. A settlement <laughs> retirement home, a permanent <laughs> retirement home where it doesn't get back into the lake. But the good news is it's not draining into the lake. No. And... How do you irrigate the golf course? Uh, Water from Lake Tahoe. We have um, the Edgewood Water Company, uh, where it dates back to, oh boy. Couldn't actually give you the original start on that one, but we have um, water rights to Lake Tahoe, and we pull water out of the lake from about three-quarters of a mile deep. Um, We actually use that water to cool the hotel. By the way, when you say that in a very casual way, three-quarters of a mile deep... So that's a deep lake. <laughs> Makes for cold water. 
about 42 degrees down there. Right. And how many gallons of water in Lake Tahoe? <laughs> I have no idea. I have the answer, but I'll tell you. I'll tell my audience a little bit later. It's that. It's it's amazing the number. It's amazing the number. But you know, if you drop a coin by accident in the lake, you are never going to get it back. <laughs> well, it depends where you drop it. Well, I'm not talking on the shore. <laughs> I'm talking about if you go out there, <laughs> right? Yep. I mean, it's deep. It's deep. What's to this day? What's the biggest surprise for you about Lake Tahoe? Biggest surprise about Lake Tahoe. You know, I, I think that there's a, a universal attachment to it. Uh, for me, it's easy to, to love the lake. Um, you know, I grew up knowing it. It's my kids play here, my dad played here. Uh, but seeing other families coming up here and having that same experience and knowing that it wasn't just rooted to us. Um, when I, I love seeing multi-generational families come up here and stay. Um, I love seeing the grandparents with their kids and their grandkids either at the fire pits with the s'mores or... Yeah, you can't forget the s'mores. Of course not. But um, seeing that there's something about the clean air, the clean water, the mountains, the trees that draws people here. And it isn't just work travel. It isn't just a quick vacation. It's I want to bring the whole family. My thanks to Joe. Now, every time I come to Lake Tahoe, I check in with Amy Berry. She's the CEO of the Tahoe Fund but I'm always interested in where they focus their attention to preserving and then maintaining the community, as well as the lake. To me, they're a role model for many other communities on not just putting their money where their mouths are, but in their commitment to the environment in a practical way. Amy Berry, welcome. Thank you. It's great to see you again, Peter. Yeah, we had a great time that day. We did. We got and to you, ride, ride and, the trail before it even opened. And now it's opened. Yeah, it's been open now four years. Wow exceeding everybody's expectations. And how long is the trail? It's about three miles. It runs from Incline Village, so the northern end of the lake on the Nevada side, to Sand Harbor State Park. We anticipated about 100,000 people a year would ride the trail. Trail counters are showing almost 200,000 people. And can it handle it? Yeah, absolutely. Great. So being here as long as you've been here, looking at all the challenges that are here, right? We talk about over-tourism. You just mentioned those numbers. How do you manage it? I think one is recognizing it. You know, you have to recognize first that you have a problem before you can start to solve it. But we've been working with over 17 different partners, actually, on something we call the Destination Stewardship Plan. And that is really a recognition of Tahoe is more popular than it's ever been. It's just such a gorgeous place. You know, you've been here a few times. Oh, yeah. um, and people want to come, and we just need to be better prepared for when they visit. And how do you do that? So we just launched something in June called the Destination Stewardship Plan, and it is an action plan with four very specific goals and 31 different action items in it to help better manage people when they're here. So that's things like knowing what days are going to be peak demand days, having more microtransit, having more litter service. I'll give you an example. If I'm going to visit one of the islands in the Caribbean, let's say St. Thomas, I don't just go in the air, on the website and make an airline reservation. I call one of the hotels there and say, tell me the days of the week that the cruise ships are not here. That's where I want to go. Yeah, that, I mean, that's sort of the Tahoe experience. I've been using this term a lot lately, but you don't build church for Easter Sunday. We can't build Tahoe for every busy day of the year, but we can start to build better management and infrastructure around the days where we know it's busy. But definitely, I would recommend call ahead, find out when the busy days are and try to come in the less busy days. The shoulder seasons in Tahoe are really special. 
Well, you know, September is the magic month. I believe so. Absolutely. I mean, it is the magic month just about everywhere in the world. Well, in Tahoe, you know, we have this big, beautiful lake that's great to go swimming in. It warms up into the 70s eventually in July and August. It's actually the warmest in September. So you can still do all the boating activities. You can go kayaking, paddleboarding, swimming, wake surfing. Um, and then you can do some beautiful hikes because it's not so blazing hot in the fall as it is in the summer. And the leaves start changing and the aspen turn this beautiful golden. It's a great time to be here. Does the lake ever freeze? The lake never freezes. It's more than 1,600 feet deep. So it's just too deep. The water is constantly cycling around we do have emerald bay which is this beautiful little bay we were over there it's unbelievable yeah the tea house the tea house yes isn't that neat oh my god this little island in the middle of the bay that this woman built this little tea house to go have her afternoon tea It's, it's still there it's absolutely magical so in the winter emerald bay will freeze last winter we had such a crazy long snowy winter and emerald bay froze last winter wow so for people coming to tahoe for the first time that you know are coming maybe to visit you. What's the thing that surprises them the most? I think the grandeur. I think the size of that giant big blue lake surrounded by the beautiful mountains. But then again, you've got to manage it all. Yes. And that deals with power. That deals with sustainability. That deals with waste treatment. It deals with runoff. How do you do all that? Well, not alone, that's for sure. I mean, there are more than 80 different organizations that work every day, hand in hand, to help take care of Tahoe. It is a beautiful place. People come here because of its natural beauty, but it takes a lot of work to maintain that. And what would you say is your biggest challenge? Biggest challenge, I think number one is probably forest health. You know, we're surrounded by 24 million trees. We funded some uh, new technology to help count how many trees are in the basin. So now we know there's 24 million, but we're only... Somebody, did, somebody actually counted. Well, using LIDAR and AI, the computer <laughs> counted them. Um, and what we know is we have about 22 million too many trees in Tahoe. So the risk of wildfire is real. And so we're working really hard to reduce the number of trees in the forest to reduce that threat of catastrophic wildfire. And how do you do that responsibly? Oh, well, with a lot of environmental permitting and planning. Um, I, use, I like to use the term that there are too many trees in the forest, there's too many straws in the cup, and that if we don't reduce some of the trees, we may lose all of the trees. So we have to very carefully plan and thin the forest a bit to have fewer trees, which makes for great hiking, great mountain biking, and if you come in the winter, makes for great tree skiing. It's one thing to build bike trails, right? It's one thing to figure out how you power new buildings, right? But you get to a point where you get to a point of diminished returns. I don't think so. No. I mean, I think what we found, so the Tahoe Fund is a nonprofit. Our whole focus is encouraging the private community to help support great projects through philanthropy. You know, we've raised over $20 million from the private community for more than 130 different projects. People are just love this lake and they are fired up to help it. Okay. What's the one project you're working on now that, that's completely psyching you up? Oh gosh, we have a lot. Um, I think there's a beautiful set of boardwalks up off Mount Rose Highway in the Tahoe Meadows. So maybe 25 minutes north of where we are at Edgewood right now. And they they were built to protect the watershed but beneath, you know, so when people were walking, they weren't trampling a watershed. Um, unfortunately, stairs were built leading down to those boardwalks. And so we are working right now, a donor stepped up with a $75,000 matching campaign to say, okay, let's build ramps down so that anybody who comes to visit Lake Tahoe, regardless of ability, can get out on those ramps. So that's a great example of expanding access and inclusivity all around the lake. And what about the rest of the lake? How accessible is it? You know, there are parts that are some accessible and we're just trying to make it more. You know, our goal is to get that path that you rode with me in 
five years ago all the way around the lake someday. You know what the most dangerous thing about that path is? The views are so spectacular. If you don't pay attention, you're going to fall over. Uh, that's kind of all of Lake Tahoe, right? And, yeah. and we see that same thing with people driving around the lake. So one of our goals is to try to get people out of their cars. How do you do that? Well, something like microtransit. So if you come and stay at Edgewood, for example, you can call up a service, an app on your phone, and a little shuttle bus will come and pick you up and take you exactly where you want to go in South Lake Tahoe. So for free? You, for free. So if you want to go to the new I'm event. I'm out of the car right now. That's yeah. It. If you want to go to the new event center, if you want to go to a trailhead, if you want to go to a different restaurant or bar for the evening, you can leave your car behind. And then new paths. So if we have paths that are connecting everything, people never have to get back in their cars. They can bring a bike or rent a bike and bike around town, bike in, to the beach. In a given day, how much are you biking? Uh, that's a good question. Just depends. Sometimes I go mountain biking, you know, 10, 15 miles. And sometimes I'm just cruising around town. It's six miles. It's a great way to get around town. It's way faster than driving for sure. Now, with all the other things you're doing, are you also working to limit growth? You know, there have been growth restrictions in place since the 1970s when the Tahoe Regional Planning Agency came into being. You know, before that, Tahoe was kind of this newfound place and everybody just built things. It was after the 1960 Olympics, but there have been... The Winter Olympics. Winter Olympics. Yeah. yeah, there have been growth restrictions in place for a long time. What we're really focused on right now is not necessarily building expanded capacity, but taking old things that are a little bit run down and redeveloping them because that has a good impact, not just on the accommodations that are available for people to stay, but it's actually a huge improvement to Lake Clarity. When you have old, rundown, crappy buildings and hotels, they're actually helping fuel more pollutants into the lake. If we can renovate all of those buildings and make them nicer, they'll actually do huge environmental improvements that weren't around when they were built in the 60s, and that will help with Lake Clarity as well. When somebody builds a house, if they're allowed to, or the houses that were built, what about the sewer system? Is it a sewer system? Is it a septic tank? It's a sewer system. So something really unique to Lake Tahoe is that all of the sewage in Tahoe actually leaves the basin. There was a time back in the day where the sewage was going into Lake Tahoe. Ooh. And Dr. Charles Goldman, really the godfather of clarity in Tahoe, he sounded the alarm back in the 70s and said, this is going to ruin this clarity. And so every system actually goes up and over the hill and out of the basin and gets um, managed somewhere else. Wow. So if you're living over the hill, you have a present for them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, there are proper sewage systems I know, that they're I know. going to. Yeah. But it's just a nice euphemism. Where did my... go? Oh, it went over the hill. <laughs> over the hill, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't want it going in the lake. I mean, we have one of the clearest lakes in the world, one of the deepest lakes in the world. And it that blue lake, when you see it, it just changes you. I wonder, you know, you've been here enough. I'm sure it's changed you as well. So we have to do everything we can to ensure that we're not just protecting that lake clarity, but we're improving the lake clarity. Well, the, the way it changed me was I still couldn't get my arms around how deep it was. It's incredible. You can put the Empire State Building in Lake Tahoe and not see the top of it. You can, if you could pick up Lake Tahoe and dump it over into California, it would fill up the entire state with 14 inches of water. It's massive. Wait, stop. <laughs> I, I, now I really can't get my arms around that one. There's, that, that's how much water there is? There's 39 trillion gallons of water in Lake Tahoe. Wow. And it's entirely clear. You know, it comes from the runoff from all the snow on the mountains. And that's actually where all our drinking water comes from. So one thing we always tell people when you come to Tahoe, please don't stop at Costco on the way and pick up cases of plastic water bottles. We have the best tasting drinking tap water in the world. And so when you come here, Edgewood does a great job. They'll give you a reusable water bottle. And you just want to fill up. And the slogan is drink Tahoe tap. Nice. Nice. How many gallons of water? 39 trillion gallons of water. Wow, so you don't want any, you don't want any spillage. 
Right, exactly. <laughs> and and I don't know if you heard about this. One really exciting project was the scuba divers that cleaned up all the trash. 72 miles they swam around the entire lake yeah. to pick up the trash. We're talking to them a little bit later in the show. Oh, you are? Great, because yeah. they started and ended right here at Edgewood. It's pretty exciting. 25,000 pounds of trash. So, And that's the stuff they were able to see. Right. And we actually we just funded a deep water ROV, I want to say unmanned ROV, that is going to go to the depths of the lake all the way down to 1,600 feet. And it has claws on it. And so if it sees tires or other objects, it'll actually be able to deploy the claw, pick up that item. It's hooked up to a crane on the ship above, and they'll be able to remove things deeper than the divers So we'll find a couple to. of dead mafia dons. <laughs> I don't know. Fredo might still be out there. We're I knew sure. it was you. <laughs> My thanks to Amy to Joe, and to David Nealman. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, you know what to do. Just log on to petergreenberg.com. The Ion Travel Podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Ion Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Ion Travel is a production of CBS News Radio. Hey, Prime members, Peter Greenberg here. You can listen to Ion Travel ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, and you can listen ad free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. And before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. If you're listening to this podcast, then chances are good you are a fan of The Strange, Dark, and Mysterious. And if that's true, then you're in luck. Because, once again, Mr. Ballin Podcast, Strange, Dark, and Mysterious Stories is available everywhere you get your podcasts. Each week on the Mr. Ballin Podcast, you'll hear new stories about inexplicable encounters, shocking disappearances, true crime cases, and everything in between. Like our recent episode titled White Dust. After a middle-aged couple fail to answer their daughter's messages and calls, the daughter drives the few hours to her parents' house to check on them, but after arriving and seeing both her parents' cars in the driveway, the daughter gets an uneasy feeling and just can't stomach going inside. To hear the rest of that story and hear hundreds more stories like it, follow Mr. Ballin Podcast on Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. Prime members can listen early and ad-free on Amazon Music.